Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. It's like a sauna back here, Sherry. Back here. Back here on the back of our house. In our, wait a minute, in our recording studio. <laughs> yeah. That sounds better, doesn't it? Yeah. It's uh, rolling up on Thanksgiving here, and uh, the Colorado sun is working its magic. Feels like the greenhouse effect is is taking place here. Yeah. Aren't you hot back here? You don't usually deal with this very well. Yeah. Well, I just stepped back here. Oh. Haven't been here long enough to start sweating Yeah, yet. so let's get on with the podcast so I can get out. <laughs> All right. Well, greetings and salutations to you too, Sherry. Well, it's, you mentioned the Colorado sun, but it's also very nice and warm outside. So. Yes, it's delightful. Uh, We love our Colorado weather. Although, no, it's normally snowy and awful. Don't ever move here. Nobody else. Stay away. Stay away. Uh, We've got a good listener question. Before we get to that, though, I want to promote... The podcast episode that's going to come out next week, the week after Thanksgiving, November 27th, it is episode 219, and it is featuring um, a big friend to the show and to the work that we do, a contributor to our blog. Barbara is back on the podcast. She was first on to tell the first part of her story way back episode 70, almost three years ago. Can you believe that was almost three years ago? That is crazy. That is crazy. And she has experienced alcoholism as the loved one, as the spouse, in the most severe possible case. On episode 70, we talked about her decision to become a living organ donor and to give a huge chunk of her liver to her husband. And and in that episode, we talked about the fact that the relationship eventually ended in divorce. He drank on her liver and... Um, and, you know, came to what we thought was the ultimate sad conclusion. But there's much more to the story that has taken place over the last three years. And Barbara will be on to talk about that in next week's episode. And, um, you know, there there are some episodes that are uh, great. We hope useful. We hope you find something from it, you know. Uh, and then there are others that are really kind of profound. And... This falls into that latter category. This one is a must-listen-to if you are on either side of experiencing alcoholism. Um, It's eye-opening. There are emotional twists and turns that are completely unexpected, I think, from from knowing what I know about her story. So I learned a lot. I like to learn stuff. So I don't know. I listened. I was sitting there. While we were talking, so I couldn't help. My listeners were open. You know, what are you going to do? I listened. Hope everybody does. I hope so. Yeah. All right. Do you need some caffeine? Can I get you a beverage? You doing okay? I'm good. Okay. You sure? Yeah. Okay. Listener question, Sherry. I'm wondering if you could talk more about detachment after the addict is sober. I'm growing weary, hoping change will happen on his side. I feel like my health has declined because we are always in turmoil. That's why I picked this question, that last sentence, which I understand isn't really a question. The last sentence part isn't anyway. Yeah. 
but I feel like my health has declined because we are always in turmoil. Oh my God, that really struck a chord with me with the whole concept of sobriety doesn't fix anything, but it is a prerequisite. We certainly experienced the ups and downs of active alcoholism, but the ups and downs continued even once I got sober. Um, And this whole idea of relating biology, the physical health to the emotional health and what you're experiencing in the relationship, it's really important and scary and hard. Yeah. Want to take a stab at this question, Sherry? Well, I think that um, the the question that you presented here didn't really indicate whether or not there was recovery work going on and if it was just sobriety because that has a lot of dry drunk tendencies, still holding on to the behavior patterns, not getting the root of the drinking issue uh-huh. or the um, substance abuse issue. So, you know, I don't know exactly where that lands, but it does take a while and they don't mention how long they've been, their partner's been in sobriety. Um, so if you're not doing any work for each other, you know, your own selves, then it's going to be hard to kind of mend the relationship because you've both got to do your own sets of work, become a little bit stronger and healthier and more independent but sounds like they're still in just this turmoil state. So if it is that new, newer sobriety, it's going to take a while for your alcoholic to, you know, kind of get their body settled, their brain chemistry balanced. And that is a time where you do kind of hold back and, and are still detached. And it's not great. It's when you pretty say uncomfortable. It's going to take some time. What are you talking about there? couple a few minutes or like a day Uh, well like you know we kind of said like it's about a year yeah you know like your first few months of sobriety um because you had been working on this for a while and you had been doing a lot of bibliotherapy and then you found what worked for you that made you feel more comfortable and understanding explaining things was learning about brain chemistry and neurotransmitters and um things like that so you were a little bit more knowledge but you were exhausted you were really tired. Your body just didn't want to function the way you were hoping it would. So that added a level of frustration to you. And so you were kind of still impatient because you wanted to, like, drop a bunch of weight. You were like, I quit drinking all this beer and I want to drop a bunch of weight. You know, and that didn't happen. So there were moments where you were just a big grump. And it certainly kept me in the detached stage, the protective stage, the walls up stage. I wouldn't still come to you and feel like I could share a lot with you because I didn't know how you were going to react because you were dealing with your own shit. And what we've kind of learned is it's kind of best to let them work on themselves and do their recovery work and then us sober partners do our own stuff and we try not to be glommy and gross and codependent on each other during those stages, you know, because I think that becoming independent and then you get that self-confidence and then you can start working on the marital issues. Yeah, she talks about how she's waiting for the change to happen on his side. You made me think of this when you talked about how I was grumpy and tired in early sobriety. Those were things that took me by surprise. Maybe not the grumpy. I don't know. But the tired for sure took me by surprise because I thought, how was it that I was, you know, drinking, uh, not always late into the night, but we knew at that point that alcohol-induced sleep or intoxicated sleep was not restorative sleep. Mm-hmm. So, And we knew that when I was actively drinking. So how is it that I could 
you know, live this lifestyle where I had alcohol in my body most evenings, sometimes to excess, sometimes late into the night. And I was more tired when I stopped drinking than when I was getting five hours of crappy alcohol sleep. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've since learned that the body is an amazing thing and it adjusts to the circumstances that it is in. And so my body got used to dealing with all that alcohol from a sleep deprivation and functioning anyway standpoint. And then when I stopped drinking, you know, my body's like, all right, this is different. Got to adjust to it. And in the meantime, we're going to catch up on a little sleep. And so I was tired all the time. The other thing that happened that at the time I was really, 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 really (coughs) upset about, but now I look at it as a blessing because it helps me interact with other people who have experienced alcoholism and are in early sobriety was that I got in a fender bender uh, a few weeks into sobriety, you know, this time, like the time when I made it mm-hmm. or the hump. And I was so, and I was parking, I was parallel parking and I hit a parked car. So it wasn't even like a active, you know, two people were rolling and potential for bodily injury. <laughs> I hit a stupid parked car with nobody in it. And I remember just being so distraught by that, thinking, you know, how is this happening? All the times I drove when I shouldn't have, um, all the years of behaving poorly, and things seemed to work out okay for me, and now here I am sober, doing the right thing, trying to get healthy, trying to be responsible, and now I hit a parked car? It was very, very kind of devastating for me. Mm Mm-hmm. But it helps me now because like when other people experience this, they're tired in early sobriety or they, you know, I can think of someone right now that we're, we're, um, you know, getting to know and, and know reasonably well. And, um, it's a couple and the gentleman has gotten sober recently and had a huge blow career wise. And you're like, why now? Why you know, why yeah, do I some, have to deal with this now? When sometimes I always right feel thing? like it's like the world or whatever kind of like testing that. and But you feel like that. But it's sometimes it's just usually coincidental. It just feels worse, I think, for us. Because I'm the same. I mean, I think that a lot of us are the same way. Why would I'm trying to do all this good or bad things yeah, happening? Well, whether it's God or karma or the universe or whatever you want to believe. Yeah. You think I'm on the right path. Can I get a little bit of positive reinforcement here instead you get some negative reinforcement and i do think that it's you know there there is the the one positive from that is if you can overcome and you can maintain sobriety when you think you're supposed to be on the right path and you get you know, a slap you're still getting face. wrenches thrown at your head yeah uh if you can survive make it through sober continue on the path of recovery then you, you know it's it's like you know, recovering at a faster pace than you otherwise would because yeah, cause you're dealing with emo- things. Well, and you're having to face emotions that you probably could have just drank yourself away. If you That's had right. done that when you were drinking, you would have been pissed and worried about the insurance and the cost and, you know, and then you would have just drank yeah. all the emotions away and then dealt with it and the financials. And every time you would have been reminded of it, you would have just drank. You know what really made me mad about the, the fender bender? That was a, she had a plastic front mm-hmm. bumper that I like, I didn't even knock it all the way off. I just un, un disconnected it. And I could see looking at it that it just needed to be snapped back into place. Not, you know, like like not easy, but it, I could have done it for sure. And she wouldn't let me. She wanted to go to a body shop and I was so mad. 
But I thought, you know, if I had been, if alcohol had been part of my life that evening, I would have gone home, I would have drank, and then I really would have been mad that she mm-hmm. wasn't just going to let me snap it into place. But luckily, she was either she snapped it back into place herself, or you know, the car was a piece of shit. So I think what really happened was she just drove around with the bumper kind of bouncing around and never did anything about it because I never got an insurance claim. So, unlike the time, and now we're past the uh, statute of limitations. Hopefully, (laughs) unlike the time when I wrecked into a POS, and then (laughs) the person ended up scrapping it after it got fixed. Mm. Remember, we lived in. uh, I hit the ladies that worked at the dry cleaners car, Uh, and it was a big POS. No, I don't. And she got it repaired, and then literally like two months after that, she was driving it. And then I was like, oh. I didn't know you were working today because I don't see your car. And she's like, oh, I had to scrap it. And I wanted to reach through the, like, the little... So like, was that, like, in a parking lot? It was in the small parking lot of the dry cleaner. So you weren't going very fast? No. I just want to reinforce that because yeah. all of our fender benders have been at a very slow rate of speed. Yeah. I backed your car into a pole once. You sideswiped a, a cement pole once. <laughs> it's all been at under, like, two miles an hour because... I know we have listeners that are part that have come on our retreats that think we both think drive we like drive. maniacs. Yeah, no, so these are all. That's why had... we drive like maniacs because if we go fast, then we're gonna just not. We're gonna miss oh, all of that. You're gonna curse us <laughs> and knock on some wood. But so far, all of our little mistakes, yeah, have, have been, been very slow rate. slow rate. The listeners probably, the listeners probably like, yeah. Could you get back to my question, please? Because yeah, you guys are wandering, but you know. So, so she's talking about growing weary of hoping that change will happen on his side. It, it is absolutely a slow process, and there, it's so common for there be to, for there to be a decline before the positive change takes place. Oh yeah, uh, it's just how it works. One thing it does, I think, is reinforce the severity. Uh, you know, alcohol is a toxin. It's not something to be taken lightly. Although we take it lightly throughout our society um it's it's not a you know a minor little thing oh i'm gonna quit drinking no big deal it's it's a big deal it's a very big deal and all the times that i tried to quit and i just wanted everything to be the same just without alcohol it just doesn't work that way everything in your life changes when you quit drinking and we have to be willing to accept that and not only accept that the change is going to take place, but that the change is going to take place over a long period of time and it's going to be difficult and arduous and being open to to learning and uh, to growth is really important. If you just if you just say, look, I made my amends. I don't drink anymore. I'm done thinking about recovery. Then, you know, I think that's an uphill battle. So hopefully the change will pl- take place for this woman's husband. Um, but yeah, that, you know, we talked about how the first year might be how long it takes to, to kind of start to make a turn for the better to overcome a lot of the post-acute withdrawal syndrome pieces like the neurotransmitter functioning in the brain and, you know, just being kind of a, depressing little sad sack moping around and yeah. dragging everybody else down. Well, and, and you know, we had tried, you had tried sobriety and you learned that your life does change yeah. when you stop drinking. So whether you want it to or not. So you have to like kind of learn how to live in that new quote unquote normal. 
But um, also I think that if you when you have that time and you're working on each other and you're discovering, I think that sometimes that it's really helpful because maybe you're feeling like this, you know, like, ugh, I'm just guarded and I'm, I mean, I'm sad that their health is declining. I hope they're getting help and finding a way to take good care of themselves, whether, it be, you know, exercise and diet, because all of that is very much helpful for the partner as well. Um, and, you know, finding emotional support. But I think too, what it does is when you get to the point of like the relationship repair, you might be able to say, I want more than what we had before the alcohol took hold. Like you and I have talked, we didn't really just go back to where we were. We didn't recover our relationship from where it dropped off when you crossed that invisible line. We like rebuilt it and we have a different relationship. Yeah. So maybe it's giving you the tools and the time to really find out what you want in this new life of your relationship. I mean, there were points where we had to admit that, hey, we don't know three years in if this is into sobriety, if this is going to pan out, if this is going to, you know... If we're yeah. going to make it, we're two years in. We were like, we don't know if we're going to make it, but we need to keep getting healthy and working on ourselves. Yeah, probably the best thing she can do for her health is to stop waiting and hoping for things to change on his side of the street and just to focus on the things that she can do to recover herself. There's all kinds of nervous system disruption that takes place in active addiction. Um, there is you know, often we hear people talk about how they become an investigator snooping and looking for empties that are hidden around the house. And, um, you know, they are so concerned about the well-being of their spouse or they're on eggshells because they're worried about what kind of mood the person's been in. And all of that is a huge blow to your mental health. And so taking this early time in sobriety and just focusing on yourself is your best bet because the fact is you can't control whether or not your spouse stays sober and you also can't control whether or not the change that she's hoping she will see happen on his side, whether or not that'll take place. We know lots of stories of people who get sober, stay sober, but don't do any of the recovery work as you were talking about, Sherry. And so that will lead to disappointment for our listener who sent in the question. And the best way to, I think, the best way to prepare for all eventualities is to just, you know, stay focused on yourself, work on yourself, um, grieve the loss of what you had hoped for. You had hoped for this, you know, kind of fairy tale thing probably. And because of alcohol, it didn't happen. And just coming to grips with that best case scenario, worst case scenario, just be prepared for whatever comes. Um, because there it's unfortunately sobriety and recovery is not one size fits all. And, the detachment that happens in sobriety that continues, the continuation of the detachment is definitely for the benefit of the loved one, um, whether it impacts the drinker or not, because he could start drinking again. And if you remain detached, you know, we're just kind of throwing around the idea of the first year. Uh, but, I, you know, I'd say that's kind of at a minimum. If you remain mostly detached emotionally, detached from the idea that there's a particular outcome, you know, just remain open to whatever happens. Um, then I think your, the detachment is there to protect you. Those are your survival instincts, keeping you from getting emotionally hooked again. So 
that's probably not the kind of silver bullet question that we wish we could offer to people. Silver bullet answer Yeah. to the question. The question wasn't what we said, the answer. Correct. Yeah. Good point. You are awake. Well yeah. done. Thanks. Very lively. Because remember, sobriety isn't recovery. It's two Indeed. different things. And it yeah. takes time. And I think we want to also add the caveat that we are not mental health professionals. We are not doctors. We are not psychologists. We are just people who have experienced this and not only in our own stuff, but have experienced it with a lot of other people. And so we're just sharing our thoughts based on experience. And if you would like to hear our thoughts on your question based on our experience and not our professional credentials, which um, include, I think we're both... Uh, CPR certified, <laughs> if that if that helps anyone. We're both mandatory reporters yes. in the uh, education system. I am a lead teacher in a yes. high school environment. Yes, very impressed with that. Yeah. Um, I, I can play someone. Space Invaders with my feet <laughs> on the old Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Oh, okay. Ooh. That's if that is a uh, you know something that someone needs to hire me for maybe like a birthday party or something if like the clown stupid calls human tricks I think was on David Letterman and he's gone now so. space invaders yeah. with my feet and my feet aren't like hideous either so if like I had to take off my shoes for that oh that face tells a different story you have long toes that's, <laughs> that's how you can play space invaders I wear I wear like small shoes for a full grown man. That's so why it's I never thought my toes were long. My toes are long. Yeah. You know what they it's say about a guy with long toes, don't you, Sherry? <laughs> he can play Space Invaders <laughs> with his toes. That's it. That's all they say. That's all I've heard. Well, anyway, if uh, so, if you want a couple of real experts over here to answer your listener question, go ahead and email that to Matt. At longtoes.com. <laughs> at Matt. Oh, you may have Matt to do some at, editing. Matt at soberandunashamed.com. Hmm. Maybe I'll check and see if uh, I'll get on GoDaddy and see if Long Toes domain is available. I bet it's not. And I bet if you Google it, something really Yeah, I wouldn't will Google that. I would not Google Don't that. Don't Google Long Toes. No. Bad things will happen. Yeah. Okay, so anyway. Uh, Thank you, listener, for sending that in. And if anyone else would like to participate in the frivolity that is the listener question segment of our episode, go ahead and send those in. We love to hear from our listeners, very much so. Let's talk about the holidays a little bit. Here we are. We're already well into the holidays as far as my calendar is concerned because the first of the big holidays that happen in succession for me is Halloween. Love Halloween. We've gone over that several times. Don't need to dwell on it anymore other than... Um, man, what a great Halloween this was. So Except October... I didn't get any Halloween candy. Really bummed about that. Our um, kids don't buy that parents tax thing anymore. Yeah. And uh, they, they, the other thing that's a problem as your kids get older is their palate becomes like broader. So they don't like hate all candy bars with nuts like they used to when they were young. So I can't even get any of those. Well, I, I bet I got more of the Well, they give you the share. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups because they love you, and you, they know you I, love I, those. I also got some Snickers, and I think jealousy set in, and that's why you stepped on my bag of Reese's Pieces that was given. I've been offered candy corn. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Aww. Too bad nobody got any black licorice they could have 
you know, oh, I'd have been down for that. You, know, you like black licorice. Anyway, the holidays are are well upon us. Uh, this episode will be released the two days, three days, however you say that, Monday, yeah, three days before Thanksgiving. And uh, I think there is kind of a progression, everything, everything in alcoholism, progression, progressive disease, progression, progressive recovery. But it's true as it relates to the holidays too, there is a, an, a power in just time, time passing. So I wanted to talk a little bit today, Sherry, about triggers, triggers that take place at the holidays. Um, for me, there are lots of things that happen as we move through Thanksgiving, the day of Thanksgiving, the, the tradition, you know, I'm a like crazy traditionalist, loves me my traditions. And so the, there are many things that we do now that we've done for years and decades and, and things that we do that predate uh, my sobriety. So like an example, um, we have a little neighborhood soccer match on Thanksgiving morning. Lots of people play football in America on Thanksgiving morning, uh, but we, being kind of a soccer family, we, with a bunch of other neighbors, go to a local park and play soccer on Thanksgiving morning. And by we, I mean me and the kids, because it's not, you don't really like, well, you don't like being I chased the ball on one time. Thursday morning. Did you come once? I, I've come several times. Thank you. Must, must remind the listeners that a lot of this was pre-sobriety days. Yes, I showed up like four or five times over the years. Oh, great. One time I brought Bloody Marys and you were like, you know, worked up about that. And when you were drinking, I was like, God, I thought that that would be impressive. Well, I knew right then that you were a filthy enabler. (laughs) But and then two years ago, I think I like went and I like chased like I got balls after they got kicked out of like out of bounds. Oh, nice. Sometimes I would walk with the other. A ball runner. You were a a ball ball runner. runner. Yes. And then sometimes I would walk around the perimeter of the park with um, another non-player or well, two. Thursday morning, Thanksgiving soccer, for many years, included a cooler of beer. Yeah. So we'd play our soccer, and then we'd have a couple of beers. And then, and you know, we started at 9, so we were probably done around 11. And so those were AM beers. I always loved the when there was a legitimate excuse for morning beers. Mm-hmm. But so, as it relates to triggers... For the first few Thanksgivings in sobriety, I would get a little itchy, you know, a little uncomfortable at the end of the soccer match. I think maybe for the first couple of my uh, Thanksgivings in my sobriety, people were still bringing beers. I don't know if it's just that we've gotten older or if I was just the instigator behind the beer bringing, but the last few years, nobody brings beers to Thanksgiving morning uh, soccer. I, I have great friends. I'd, I'd like to give them credit and say that they don't bring them because they have concern about my sobriety and my my long-term well-being, but I don't think that has anything to do with it. Maybe maybe it would have early on, mm-hmm. but I think they have like completely forgotten about my drinking past, and they just don't bring beers because it's 11 o'clock in the morning and they're not Jonesing for alcohol the way I used maybe to be. you were the one that enforced that and encouraged That's that. What I'm <laughs> totally agree. Totally agree. So it that has just faded away. But still, 
you know, we're playing soccer Thanksgiving morning, festive day. I've got this turkey poncho that's actually our daughter's, but she doesn't really like to wear it. So I wear it while we play. And, uh, you know, the end of the match comes. And, you know, in the back of my mind is that recollection that this used to be beer o'clock. But it doesn't, like, it doesn't phase me anymore, like at all. But we've talked about this in the past. I think it's helpful, though, to reinforce, you know, you can go weekend after weekend after weekend after weekend in normal times without drinking, and eventually that pattern will change, and you will stop jonesing for a beer on Friday night and jonesing for a beer on Saturday night or whatever your thing is, right? Because you you are successfully changing the routine in the subconscious part of your mind. But Thanksgiving only comes once a year. So you can be two years sober or three years sober and then Thanksgiving rolls around and your brain is an amazing thing. It is going to go into the memory banks and say, what do we do on Thanksgiving? And if you've only had one or none or two sober Thanksgivings, your brain is going to go to the little card catalog index thingy and say, oh, we drink beer after we play soccer on Thanksgiving morning. And so those cravings can come out of the blue and just shock the shit out of you years into your sobriety because you might have years of sobriety you might have you, you might have hundreds of weekends of sobriety but you've only got two sober thanksgivings mm-hmm. and i don't think that is a point that we can overstate really really important but the power of time the cleansing power of time is such that uh i'm what almost 7 years sober i don't like playing soccer any morning thanksgiving morning any time doesn't make me think of beer or wish for a beer or remember back in the days when we drank beer. I have to like work hard to think of those things now. Good. 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 Thanks for that feedback. Um, You know, other things that happen on Thanksgiving, uh, we do occasionally have that nice weather like we're having today and we spend some time on the patio in our backyard having appetizers, grilling our turkey Love grilling the turkey, mm-hmm. uh, eating the turkey neck with the yes. kids. It's another thing that you take a pass on. Do you want to have some turkey neck this year? No, thanks. Do you want to talk about the turkey neck no. some more? No. Okay. Um, no, Uncle Ed. Hanging out <laughs> in the patio on the sun. That's, you know, if I back in the day when I drank, I would come home from soccer, probably two beers in me, and just keep it going. 11 o'clock in the morning sounds great. Let's keep rolling. And so that entire experience of several hours of turkey grilling and hanging out with the kids and playing cornhole or shooting hoops or throwing darts or listening to music or whatever, if it's a little cooler, a little fire in the fire pit, whatever we're doing, um, that would have included beer for me. And so in the first few Thanksgivings, I'd sit back there and first few sober Thanksgivings and constantly be thinking about, hmm, this is nice, but it'd be a little better with a little buzz on. And so that was a challenge. But that challenge is totally gone now. It doesn't come up at all for me. Yeah, anything for you? Uh, you is the there anything couple... triggering for you about Thanksgiving? Well, not anymore, but... Because yeah, there's like... a cleansing power to the, of time? Yes. Oh. Yeah, there were lots of... Like, when you were talking about it, I remember like there were lots of Thanksgivings where I was like, well, I wonder if the turkey is even going to be done properly. Um, because you would be pretty schnockered into it and then there would be 
like the cleanup would, you know, be my job. Or then, like, when I think about the, the, the times, like, with cleanup, sometimes that just became such a, I don't know, an issue because you wanted to do it so you could be in the kitchen alone. You wanted to take care of the turkey carcass and carve it all up and get it off the bone. So you clean up, but I think it was a way that you could, like, sneak, like, hard liquor drinks in amongst the beer or the glasses of wine. Because I remember one in particular was my mom was out here because we used to have, you know, our kids were little and we owned our own business. So we had to have some help during that week watching the kids while they were off school. And I was remembering I was raking piles of leaves and it was dark, you know, because of the time change, but it was still, you know, early. And my mom and I were out making, we were watching the kids jump in piles of leaves and I could see you go to the cabinet where we kept the hard liquor and I could see the door open to the pantry and I knew what you were doing. Yeah. And then you would, you had, I think we had wine. So you had wine or a bottle of beer sitting on the counter acting like that's what you were drinking, Mm. sipping it slowly, but you were pretty shit faced. I have to tell you, you just made me remember now, in, you know, in long-term sobriety, that's another trigger. Even, even I'm sure this coming week, this Thanksgiving, I, when we're done eating dinner and we're actually having some guests this year, but anyway, when everybody leaves and it's time just to, to clean off the turkey carcass and put the leftovers in the refrigerator, I'm sure I will have that that same reaction of, oh, this is going to be so grueling. And when I used to drink all day and then at whatever, six o'clock at night, have to clean the meat off the turkey bones. I hope we have some vegetarians listening. They're probably really they're like, enjoying this conversation. <laughs> but when Carcass, I have to do that, bones, oh my God, half shit-faced, tired, right? Oh, all and the, let the me just tell her. herbs and the yeah. turkey and everything. I, w- I would look at that task like it was the most... Gr- like you had just asked me to go asphalt a mile of road by hand. Like it was yeah. this grueling, grueling thing. And now, I think it's funny when, you know, the last few Thanksgivings, I'm like, uh, I'm dreading it. And I go in there and it takes like four minutes and then I'm done and I'm not actually tired at all. And, I, you know, I don't yeah. know. It's just that that's a great example of... Well, last year we had like extra hands. The kids were our kids are older, and they were very helpful putting the the side dishes and stuff away because side, you wanted I'm talking about the but you but you wanted because you said you wanted to do the turkey. So I've always wanted to do the turkey. It's probably some you know over- I think it's so you could, masculinity thing. Yeah, because you're like I'm carving it. I'm the man, but I'm we the, I have to just tell our listeners it makes me think about. Then what I would do, like, a couple days after Thanksgiving was I didn't work the weekend on Saturday, and you normally, for many years, had worked in our bakery on Saturday. And Friday. Yeah, that and Friday. That was the hard one from a yeah, and sometimes I would work standpoint. on Friday, but what I had to do was, we have a cutting board that is on our counter, and because you would want to do this on the cutting board with the turkey and the juices, so then I have to take the cutting board off of how it's inserted in the countertop. Yeah. Clean the underside, clean the edges, and then clean to where it dripped. So that was one of the reasons, like, you know, like when our family, when my mom was in town, like, and you wanted me to be off work so I could spend time with my mom because I had worked the front side of the week. But that's one of the things I had to do 
you, it's just weird. Like, I know you're probably like, you've never told do me you that. Do you still do that? Well, I do occasionally when there's a I know, run but of like, a mess. Do you but... do it on Friday or Saturday after Thanksgiving? No, because you're not drunk and sloppy. Yeah, baby. Yeah. yeah there you go. Yeah. That's right there. That's makes all this sobriety work worthwhile. <laughs> you don't have to clean the... T- the and, and listen, this inserted into the... Into the... Uh, what do you call that? Not cabinet, but into the cabinet. countertop cutting board. Mm-hmm. That was like a selling point when we bought the house. I was like, that is so cool. That is one of the worst ideas ever. That's like the... <laughs> The built-into-the-walls vacuum cleaner. Wait till you suck up puke one time and it's in your walls. That's a terrible idea. What That that was an idea that existed for about two years in the mid-80s, I think. And thank God it doesn't... At least I don't know anyone who has a house with a built-in vacuum cleaner into the walls. Do you? No, I never did know anybody that had that. Yeah, there's some bad ideas out there. That cutting board is one of them. And I'm glad you don't have to clean underneath it anymore. I mean, I still do, and I clean it, but it's not just... There's an accumulation of stuff Crumbs and stuff, yeah, because, you know, it's not... It's it's wood, so it's warped, and water still goes underneath there, or somebody overspills, you know, or, like, you're trying to dump... But you're not cleaning, But it's not the turkey turkey juices, yeah. Where we keep the backup toaster. Yeah. (laughs) God, that thing is so gross. Yeah. Well, that's good. So when I'm carving the turkey, it's not triggering for you anymore. When I'm yeah. like cleaning, cleaning off the bone. Okay. Uh, vegetarians, come on back. We're done talking about that. Uh, yeah, so lots of other things. You know, when you talk about me sneaking drinks from the liquor cabinet when you guys are in the backyard, I also have an, a, a thing that for a long time was triggering... Um, the NFL added a third game to Thanksgiving. It used to be, you know, we're in the mountain time zone. So the first game was on at like 10 in the morning still is. It's always Dallas Cowboys play somebody and the Detroit Lions play somebody. Second game was done by like three o'clock in the afternoon, our time. But then they added a night game and that night game became like a trigger for medicinal drinking for me because I did when we owned our own bakery, I had to go to work on Friday so, busiest three days of the year for us in the bakery business were Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Come home Wednesday night, feel this huge, huge sense of accomplishment, having survived and had very lucrative days for the business. And then, you know, be tired, but celebratory at the same time. Drink, 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 to congratulate myself and to enjoy the bounty of Thanksgiving. And then all of a sudden, during that third football game... On Thanksgiving night, I would start to be like, oh, I have to get up and go into work in the morning. And when we say get up and go into work, we're talking, you know, 4.30 in the morning. We're not talking... Eight or nine. Gotta be there by eight or nine. And everybody shopped on, you know... Oh, and I was so so sad to be missing Black Friday. Well, that's it. I know that was your whole point. But then it was like a slap in the face because we had been so adrenaline running around the week before, mm-hmm. you know, because even it started like on Friday, the week before oh, prepping, I know where you're gonna go with and this. then it would be quiet and dead and the sales would be down. So then that Friday, Saturday and Sunday, you would drink even more because you were just, we even though gave no, all the money back, because you're like, it doesn't balance out. You know, or, we, or it only balanced or it just be yeah, super busy Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. But it never quite... And then closed Thursday, dead Friday, and Saturday. It's just like a regular week. Yeah, fi- when you when you added up your deposits at the end of the week, it was just a normal week. So, that you know, it's sucks. that adrenaline. Thanks and for reminding death. me of that. So then, you know, I would try to, like, 
you know, try to say, hey, at least it's not like a really sucky week, but nothing ever really worked. So then there was that backslide, and it was always a really tension-filled, you know, week and yeah. holiday. You know, and I just felt bad, because like I said, we would had my mom in town some when the kids were young, or my mom and my sister, and then you were kind of just a grumpy bear. So I then had to find things to do outside of the house when you were around or wanted to try to find things outside of the house to do. So is it a relief now that you, I mean, I don't think you do that anymore, do you? You don't like run away on holidays. You're not triggered to go run away and be away from me the later in the day because in the old days that used to mean I was drunker and drunker. Right. You don't find excuses to run away anymore, do you? No, no. So did that take, you know, was that like, you know, took a few years before you your nervous system settled down and you didn't feel compelled to go and do that? Yeah, it did. And then, you know, and, and then you were sober during COVID. So the COVID, you know, shut down for that. Yeah. So, I mean, we do have that benefit of being lucky that you really didn't have any places to go. So it kind of, so it was kind of like, I was like almost like trial by fire. Like I had to just learn how to do it, but then understand like, well, there was no real places to go. But he had had a year and a half of sobriety under his belt or, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any new traditions that we've added at the holidays, specifically (laughs) since this is the one at hand, specifically Thanksgiving, that have never had those kind of drinking triggers attached to it? Well, um, I mean, I know it's kind of, it's not altogether new, but timing-wise for our college children where we go and cut our Christmas tree. Oh, yeah. And so that, like, changing the time of the year, because we used to do go cut our Christmas tree in the National Forest and had a fun day, and then you... Clark W. Griswold style. <laughs> and then we... Out there in the woods. You would have, like, peppermint schnapps in your hot cocoa, or you'd pack a couple beers, and we would, you know, eat. And you would be kind of tired on your drive home because, you know, Colorado sun and the elevation... And then the running around with little kids and you but talk at the about time the, the timing had to carry the, you know, tree. So we used to do that, but I was gonna say we used to do that on the like one of the first weekends of December. That's right. And then we would go to this thing called Parade of Lights that was downtown Denver. And so then there was more drinking and you were you're much more knowledge and you're better at parking than it's the except for the exception of like the beginning of our podcast where we told about you hitting a parked yeah. car. Um, believe it or not, he's better at... Well, I usually so then you would park just be... at 50 miles an hour and yeah. that's the key. So, Don't slow So down. then it was just one of those things like getting the Christmas tree, you drinking during some of that time, being tired on the way home, putting the tree up and then having to hustle to go to Parade of Lights where more drinking would happen. And most of the time you were just drinking shots of peppermint schnapps, 100 proof peppermint schnapps probably. But when you talk about a new tradition, the timing is different. We do the Christmas tree different and that was necessitated. It wasn't just like some brilliant idea we had. Right. It was necessitated by the kids. Explain that. Yeah. So just, so then we kind of start our, we have Thanksgiving, we have a day in between and then we kind of start our Christmas festivities on the Saturday, get the tree after Thanksgiving. So that has kind of broken because that. Because that's when the kids are home from college. Yeah. Yeah, we can't do it the first week in December unless we want to do it without the college age kids. Yeah. So it's Which kind of broken something. that trigger tradition. Yeah. 
Totally, yeah. So they're so yeah. it's the same thing, but it's just moved. It, well, but that makes all but the it, difference but in the it, world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for one thing, like you know, this real tree that you go out in the woods and get real natural trees don't look a thing like Christmas trees. Um, they well, not many things like a Christmas tree anyway. And so having this thing that was not like bred to sit in someone's living room dead for six weeks. Having it sit there for six weeks, it's pretty raunchy looking by the end. And we used to get it, like you said, into December. And now we get it when November is still here. So mm-hmm. lots of differences. Yeah. As a result of that. Yeah. So yeah, so just that little bit of timing. Because there was one time that you were sober, but you ran in the house after we were coming home and getting the Christmas tree and... I had a panic, like, is he going to run in and grab a beer? You know, because we had done that That's at right. our normal timing. And it was just, you know, it was just weird. Like, and now I don't even, I feel like it's such a different event just because we moved it back a weekend or two. It yeah. doesn't even feel like it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, one of the reasons that we wanted to talk about this is because as we get further into our recovery, we continue to learn things. And the whole idea is to share the things that we're learning with others. And so if you are in really new sobriety, let's say it's your first sober Thanksgiving for you or your spouse or your partner or whatever, it's going to be hell on earth, man. I mean, I don't, I don't want to sugarcoat it. It's going to be really hard. And your goal, in my humble opinion, should be just Peace and serenity. Your goal shouldn't be glory and jubilation and, you know, celebrating how thankful you are. I mean, you can be thankful if you want, of course. But... Don't um, feel pressured. Yeah, it's not going to be great. If it's your second sober Thanksgiving, it's still not going to be great. Yeah, just don't feel pressured, like, or beat yourself up or have guilt because you're not feeling as thankful as you should. Yeah. And then maybe if it's your third or fourth, maybe you're still remembering some of the triggers. Maybe you're you're thinking about that third NFL game or the the afternoon in the sun on the patio, and you're you're still thinking about alcohol. Don't beat yourself up for that. I mean, this is a big deal. Or maybe you're thinking about, like you said, Sherry, you're thinking about how your spouse used to drink, and you're on eggshells a little bit, and you're like, my God, we're four years sober, and I'm still sitting here sweating a little bit about whether or not. This person that's been sober for four years is going to go get a beer. It's very, 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 very natural and to be expected. Um, but, you know, you will get to the point where it doesn't cross your mind. And it's not, it's no longer a part of the the mental kind of, that that gray area between conscious and subconscious. Um, it It's not there anymore. It's just, it's not something you think about. That will happen with long enough sobriety and enough work done in recovery. And it's glorious when that happens. Well, and I think I'm just going to, from from where I am now, like if I were to give some hints about maybe how to handle the first few years of sobriety Mm -hmm. with the holidays, maybe like take it down a notch. I mean, it's a lot of pressure on the couple if they're hosting and then to add the sobriety on it. And then it's like, do we allow people to bring, you know, wine if they're hosting other people? Like, do we allow them to bring alcohol? Are we going to serve it? 
you know, so trying to get just your foundation of like kind of house rules, because that's that's hard. Like uh, we don't drink, but we are inviting guests that do. Like, so you need to find your level of comfort there. So I think that first year, maybe just make it real small and intimate and only immediate family or try to, you know, kind of avoid any sort of big gathering that you have to go, you know, unless you have to have to go. Because we kind of like canceled our calendar of events for the first year of your sobriety to kind of help ease and transition into that. And then, like, in your second year of sobriety, think about what is triggering you and maybe how you can change it. Like, we just moved, you know, an event that was triggering. We moved it because of the the college kids' vacation time so we could all do this together. But really, it's kind of canceled some of the triggers, I think, maybe for some of the, um, like, the whole family. Yeah. So maybe just tweaking your celebrations to fit your new lifestyle is a way to look at things. That's great advice. It really is. And remember, folks, she is a trained CPR professional. <laughs> doling out that advice. It's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. Oh, we're getting. Uh, I'm getting some hand signals over the here. Bird. It's Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving. That's right. Um. So yeah, adding those new traditions, changing the dates. That's good. Should we add uh, another new tradition this year, Sherry? You gotta join us for some no, turkey neck. No. Save the turkey neck for me, Clark. Yeah, cousin Eddie. No, it's thank you. Good eats. <laughs> Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs>